In the name of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's so nice to be able to preach to people when I can see their faces. Well, a number of years ago, when I was serving in Colorado Springs, I received a call at the church on a Sunday afternoon just as I was getting ready to leave and go home. And the caller claimed to be a military chaplain who was trying to help a young military couple return home after a long and arduous ordeal that involved a car accident, a surgery, and various other tragic events. And this chaplain assured me that if I could help them out, he would reimburse any expenses we incurred the following week. And so I spent the rest of the afternoon working with this young couple, trying to get everything taken care of. Now, of course, there were things in their story that just didn't quite add up. For example, the guy talked about how he was a sergeant in the Air Force and then told me about all of the different fighter jets that he had flown. Well, living in Colorado Springs, I was around enough Air Force pilots to know that the enlisted people don't fly the fighter jets. But I wanted so badly to help this person, and I was blinded by all of the red flags that kept popping up. Now, to make a long story short, this couple wound up bilking me out of almost $2,000. And I realized that I had been scammed almost immediately after returning to the church later that afternoon. And I felt so utterly and completely ashamed of myself. I was ashamed not only that I had been thoroughly duped, but I was ashamed that I had given away money that was intended to go to people who were legitimately in need. And we had a service at the church later that evening, and I remember sitting in that service up front in front of the entire congregation, and all I wanted to do was run and hide. Shame has a way of doing that to us. And it's been like that since almost the beginning of time. But it hasn't always been that way. When we first see Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2 in the Garden of Eden, there is no shame. In the verse just before our reading from Genesis today begins, we are told that the man and the woman were both naked and were not ashamed. But everything changes in chapter 3 when the serpent makes his appearance. Now, even though at this point in the history of the world, the world is exactly as it is intended to be by God the Creator, the serpent tempts the woman with how the world could be. He begins by asking her, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He's just planted this seed of doubt in her mind that perhaps the Lord can't be trusted. 
And the woman responds by saying, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, even though the woman adds a bit of embellishment to God's original command, it's still clear that she understands what the expectation is for her and for the man in the garden. But you can already see that doubt is starting to creep in, and the serpent is not going to waste such a golden opportunity to get a foothold. And so he tells the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, for any con to work, there has to be an element of truth in it. Had the couple from my previous story come in and said, we are aliens from Mars, and our spaceship has broken down, and we need help getting back to the moon... I would have told him to take a hike, because of course that can't be true. But there was enough truth in what they said that it drew me in and it caused me to ignore the things that didn't quite seem right. And the same thing happens in the garden with the serpent. Now he tells the woman that they will not surely die, and that's at least immediately true. He tells them that their eyes will be open, and their eyes do become open. But it's not until they take the bait that they discover that they have been conned. Because once their eyes are open, they discover that they are not, in fact, like God, but rather they realize that they're naked. Their disobedience leaves them feeling exposed and vulnerable, and so their first reaction is to attempt to cover their shame. In verse 7, we are told, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, it's important to note here that fig leaves are entirely inadequate as clothing. This is a terrible choice for them to make. Fig leaves aren't particularly big, they're not durable, they're not protective, they're really not doing anything for them. And that's really the whole point. The point is that the man and the woman really aren't able to properly cover their shame. They are still exposed and vulnerable. And so when they hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden... They have no choice but to hide from him. Now, of course, the Lord finds them, and he knows instantly what has happened. And the man admits to God, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Even with the fig leaf, the man still understands that he's naked. He hasn't been properly covered. Well, the man and the woman are now questioned by God, but neither one of them takes responsibility for what's happened. They simply pass the buck on to someone else. 
But unlike the man and the woman, the Lord cannot be conned. And justice is swift for the serpent, for the man, and for the woman. And while we could spend hours discussing the different punishments for each of these three participants, and that is all good and and it's important stuff, but I'd like to jump down to the end of our reading, to something that we often miss, that we treat as kind of a throwaway line at the end of this story. Now in verse 21, just before the man and the woman are exiled from Eden, we're told, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now we've just seen God's justice and all of these punishments that are laid down upon the man, the woman, and the serpent. But now we see God's mercy. Adam and Eve's attempt to cover their shame with leaves certainly hasn't worked. And so now the Lord covers them with animal skins. From a practical perspective, this is much more appropriate in terms of clothing. Animal skins are certainly more durable than fig leaves. They will help to really cover the man and woman and to keep them warm and protected. But there's also a really important theological element to what has just happened. No doubt God could have simply spoken these skins into existence, but it's more likely that animals are actually killed in order to get their skins. So even though Adam and Eve don't immediately die as a result of their sin, death has already entered into the creation. Additionally, it's here that we begin to understand that blood and death are going to be required to cover our sin and our shame. We will see this played out through the rest of the Old Testament in the sacrificial system of the tabernacle and then later the temple. Animals will be offered up in sacrifice to atone for the sins of Israel, and the blood of these sacrifices will literally be used to cover Israel's shame. And it will all come to its ultimate fulfillment on the cross. Allow me to explain what I mean by that. Now, one of the things that we're trying to do in our children's Sunday school curriculum is to show the children how even though there are many wonderful stories throughout the Bible, it also makes up one grand story or one meta-narrative. It's all connected and it all works together to tell the story of how God has acted in, through, and for the world. And nowhere is this more evident than the connection between the fall and the cross. While Genesis 3 tells us the story of why the world is the way that it is, the story of the cross reveals to us God's grand solution in solving the problem of sin and shame. In his great mercy, God provides a way to cover the shame of Adam and Eve in Genesis. 
But on the cross, he takes that shame, our shame, upon himself. Now, crucifixion was not only brutal and painful, it was also utterly humiliating. And that was by design. These executions were very public events. They would typically occur at the side of very busy roadways to maximize the number of people who would pass by and witness this punishment. And the charges for each condemned man would be hung on his cross to discourage any passers-by from engaging in the same activity. And as if this wasn't humiliating enough for the condemned, the Romans typically crucified people completely naked. And of course, we always portray Jesus on the cross covered with a loincloth because we simply can't bear the shame of even thinking of a naked Savior. But if he's going to bear our shame... He has to bear all of our shame. Jesus takes on our nakedness and he exposes himself to the shame that we so rightly deserve so that our own nakedness might once and for all be covered by his blood. Interestingly enough, when Joseph of Arimathea takes Jesus' body down from the cross, the first thing that he does is he covers Jesus' nakedness. He wraps his body in a linen shroud. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, our shame has likewise been covered, and we are now able to stand before God wrapped in the righteousness of of Jesus our Savior. Now I'm willing to bet that each one of us here today experiences shame in our lives on a regular basis. And shame can be utterly debilitating for us. We have been created for community and for intimacy and for fellowship But our shame causes us to run and hide and spurn these things that not only do we need, but we're created for them. But we're afraid that if we step out, we will be exposed and uncovered, and ultimately, we will be unloved and rejected. Now, I know that I'm not a perfect person. And I have, over the years, let many people down. And there are likely people in this room today who would readily agree with that statement. Just like Adam and Eve, my natural, fallen, human inclination is to hide my shame from those that I've disappointed, lest I be exposed as the sinner that I truly am. And unfortunately, that only serves to drive a wedge deeper between us, making the problem worse rather than better. And that same thing so often happens in our relationship with God. Let's face it, we know that we're fallen. We know that we have been disobedient. 
We know that we have come up short time and time again in what God has expected of us and called us to. And so in our shame, we hide ourselves from God, creating this chasm between ourselves and our loving Heavenly Father. Now, of course, as Adam discovered, it is impossible to hide from God. As, our, as the psalmist says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. My friends, we don't have to hide from God because our shame has been covered. There is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Our sins are no longer held against us and we can rest secure in the love of our Savior. That night that I was conned out of all that money, I went to my boss and I confessed to him what had happened. Now, I had been a priest for a long time. Inexperience was not an excuse that I could use. And so he could have easily said to me, Eric, how could you have been so stupid? How could you have been so naive? He could have said, you will need to pay all of this money back out of your own pocket. He could have very easily increased the shame that I already felt. But he didn't because he loved me. He simply told me that he would explain the situation to the vestry and the church would cover all of those expenses. And with those words, I felt this tremendous weight lifted off of my shoulders. And I no longer wanted to hide. I simply wanted to embrace my boss and tell him, thank you. And this is what God has done for us. He has paid our debt and he has covered our shame. And so we don't need to hide from him, but simply embrace him and thank him for all that he has done. Brothers and sisters, do not allow your shame to continue to separate you from the love of your heavenly Father. We cannot hide from God no matter how hard we try, but we don't have to. Our shame has been put to death by the blood of Christ. Allow yourself then to stand exposed naked before God so that he might cover you in his righteousness and restore you to himself. And then give thanks and praise to him when the weight of your guilt is fully lifted off your shoulders. 
thanks be to God. Amen.